Let's give God a hand clap of praise. Our God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. And I tell you the truth, church, this morning, I wanted to come up here and, uh, and get us all to sing a song, but I realized that would involve me singing, uh, and I didn't want to subject you to that. Uh, but do know that right now there is a song in my heart as we gather to worship our God. And so for just a moment, I just like wherever you are and however you want to do it, I'm not going to sing so there won't be music, but if you want to sing a song, if you want to raise your hands, however you want to do it, let's just take a moment in this place and in this season and worship our God. You are good, Lord. We thank you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Our God is great. And I want to remind you, church, that uh, we have five senses. We have four limbs. And with all of us, our body, our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirit, we can give God praise. I am thankful that the the sound, that the look of our praise is as diverse as we are, and yet in this space and in all the spaces that we inhabit, our lives can be a conduit to praise our God. Last month, our theme uh, was on Thanksgiving. (laughs) And we heard from uh, from Brother Stefan, from Sister Kate, from Chaplain Blanks, uh, and from me. And uh, I am thankful for the various ways in which God uh, moves in our, our midst. And uh, thankful, um, thankful. I said this before, but thankful to uh, to, to Dr. Wheelock um, for for putting me back in contact with uh, with who I know is Dean Blanks. Uh, I think that. Uh, that she blessed us in, in so many different ways um, in just the, the opportunity to be here. And last week, we were blessed by, uh, by our very own Kate Martin. Now, we're moving into a, a sermon series. We've been doing the monthly. The sermon series is simply titled Christmas. Christmas. Uh, we're going to take this moment to focus on Christ. Uh, and our sermon today... Uh, is simply entitled, You Are Accepted. You Are Accepted. This morning we'll read uh, from the gospel, from the the account of Jesus' birth, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And then our main scripture, which I'll read last, will be Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through verse 20. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Then Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through verse 20. Uh, As has become our custom, let's stand uh, as we read the word. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. 
He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now turning to Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 18 through to verse 21, actually, uh, although we'll focus on verse 20. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trust, the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God and the word of strength. Uh, you may be seated. As you were sitting down, I wouldn't typically do this, but I'm going to read uh, quickly from the New Living Translation, which technically probably isn't a translation, uh, but I want to read those same verses from the New Living Translation in your hearing. Uh, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as sin, people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, it's interesting, about two years ago now, uh, I started, didn't quite finish, to read a book of sermons by uh, Paul Tillich, uh, the German and then American theologian. Uh, the book was called uh, Shaking of the Foundation. Uh, and he has a sermon in that book that is simply titled, You Are uh, Accepted. You know, Tillich taught uh, Union Theological Seminary. Uh, he came to uh, America from Germany in essence so that he could uh, escape the, the Nazi regime. Uh, and, and Tillich had a reputation as a, as a preacher. His sermons were said to be amazing, um, but not understandable. <laughs> so people would leave without understanding a word that he said, but also with a profound feeling that their faith was strengthened. Uh, and that sermon in that book, uh, in some senses, is the basis for the sermon that I will attempt to share today. Uh, hopefully it's understandable. <laughs> we will see. I've been accused. Um, but I'm thankful, and you will hear, if you hear my, you'll hear my language and you hear how I, I speak uh, about Christ, you'll actually see the influence of of this sermon and the way that I speak about Christ, if you're listening, if you're listening closely uh, in, in in general. And, and full disclosure, if you go and read the that sermon, it's not it's not it's an inspiration. It's not copied. Um, so you you will not notice the connection, but I will. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, thank you 
for this moment and for this time and for your provision and protection of this church. Lord, we thank you for the many people, Lord God, who make this place possible. Now, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to your people, Lord, that you would profoundly change us and transform us in this moment, Lord, that the, the, that the gravitational pull of the space-time continuum would be bent in this space because your people hear directly from you. And though we may not be able to see the sinews of it, I pray, Lord God, that this world would experience it in profound ways as you work through your people. Touch us, Lord, in your name. Amen. 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 Well, I have two daughters now. Uh, my older daughter is named Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel is an interesting name. Her name means God with us. Uh, I do believe that that name explicitly came from, from God. Uh, and I won't tell you the full story today, but the short story simply is, uh, the reason that she's named Emmanuel um, it's because that she was a sign and a reminder to me uh, and to my wife and to everybody that we tell uh, that she is uh, a gift of God, yes, but also explicitly a message from God to say that God is with us. <laughs> so I leave you with the idea that whenever you see uh, or hear Emmanuel, um, that you remember that God is with you too. Even when I say, Emmanuel! <laughs> I, I'm also called to remember that she is a gift. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, God, but thank you. <laughs> Amen. So, so six years ago when she was born, uh, I remember when she came out of the womb. And now I have a counterpoint and a different experience. So, so this is now more profound to me than it was back then. So she came out and... They did all the things that they, I thought they did right when a baby was born. I now learned that doesn't always happen because it didn't happen this time. Um, but she came out and they did all the things and I sat back and said, well, eventually all of these people are going to leave and I'll have a little bit of time with my daughter, so I'm not going to get in the way. Uh, and so they left and there was this moment, I'd say about half an hour after Emmanuel was born, where she looked at me and the confusion and haze in her eyes kind of cleared. And their eyes spoke to me, and they said, Troy, I know you, and I accept you. And then for, after that half hour, her eyes didn't have that look anymore, and it was a long time before they had them, <laughs> them again, many weeks. Um, but I knew in that moment on that day that she was born that my daughter knew me. And as I say it now, I recognize that maybe that, that moment, which did not happen in the birth of my second child, was a gift from God, and again, a confirmation um, of the promise that God gave me many years ago uh, in 2010. And it may have been a while since you've held a newborn baby, but there's something about holding a newborn, isn't there? There's something about the innocence and the purity of that child, the way they're so small and delicate in your arms that even when they are crying at your touch, you know beneath their cries that there is this feeling of acceptance and love uh, and support that is, you would expect to go to the child, but instead seems to be emanating from the child that God has created. And a true, whether it's 
your own child in a biological sense, the, the one that God has given you opportunity to steward, or another child. It is simply a beautiful gift from God to hold a newborn baby in it and to have that moment where you know you are accepted. And, and so I wonder if that's why God chose to send his son, not as a full-grown man, uh, but as a little baby, as one who came through the uh, through birth um, and had to lie in a, in a made bassinet, uh, and who would cry and would need to suckle and would need to grow and develop. I wonder if God sent Christ as a newborn baby so that we could feel him in our metaphor, metaphorical arms and know that somehow we could hold the very substances of, of God in our arms and feel his acceptance. Think about that for a moment. The God that created all things that we see and cannot see came and became completely manifest in a way that we could hold in our arms. I don't know if that's what God was thinking. I don't know the mind of God. Don't claim to uh, but whatever it is, I am certainly glad that he did. You know, six years ago, uh, Emmanuel was born at Martha Jefferson Hospital here in Charlottesville, Virginia. I used to joke with my wife. It wasn't really a joke. Uh, hey, babe, you can have this baby wherever you want, but I'm going to Martha Jefferson. <laughs> now, this is not a plug for any hospital, but I will tell you that it is a beautiful facility. <laughs> The, 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 the room that I was in uh, was double-sized. Apparently, all the rooms in the facility are. Um, there's a hot tub in the room. Now, I recognize the hot tub isn't a hot tub. Okay, It's a birthday tub. But it looks like a hot tub. And it works like a hot tub. There's a place for me to sleep. I, I call this place the resort. And I'm so glad that I got to spend those few days at the resort. Uh, and Emmanuel came out in that beautiful environment. But when I think about it, I'm reminded of where God's son was born. And you know, I have to tell you that when I think about and hear the word manger, I actually think Martha Jefferson Birthing Center, right? <laughs> in other words, I have it in my mind incorrectly. The fact of the matter is, is that the manger is the place where the animals eat. It's the place where the animals produce excrement. And the place smells like a horse barn or a cow barn or a pigsty. It's the place where we keep animals, not humans. I hear the story so much that I get it twisted. But our Savior, our beautiful baby Savior, was born in a pigsty because there was no room for him and his mother. They were forced to travel from their actual home to the place we read about in Luke, to be taken part in a census, to be counted among those who might be a threat to the powers that be, to Herod or to the Romans. And so 
So his, his, his mother was sent while approximately nine months pregnant on a journey to a place where she didn't have a house or a place to be in. There was no room in the inn because there were so many sojourners traveling to this place because they were forced to be counted or, 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 or taxed. There's no room at the holiday inn. There's no room at the English inn. And so Jesus Christ, born King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, yes, the second in the Trinity, the one through whom all things are created, that Christ who in some senses is accepted more than anything in the world, was rejected in his very moment of birth and came here in a manger. And it's interesting to think about Jesus and this picture because it, it, it gets to this tension between sin and grace. Uh, we talk about sin all the time. Depending on the church you're at, you may talk about it more or less, but we talk about sin all the time. And we can think about sin as all of the ways that we do wrong, our sins. Uh, but, but theologians like Tillich like to think about sin in a different way. Sin is our separateness. Sin is the thing that separates us from God and separates us from each other. Uh, and frankly, beloved, even separates us from ourselves. Sin is that which separates. Sin is that thing that says within us, there is no room for you in the end. You need to go over to the major. Sin is that thing that says that I am different and you don't have the authority to speak into my life. God, sin is that thing that keeps us away from where we are supposed to be. It is according to, 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 to Tillich, the mixture of selfishness and self-hate that permanently perceives us and prevents us from loving others uh, and that prohibits us from losing ourselves in the love with which we are loved eternally. Uh, Tillich says the state of our whole life is this sin or this estrangement from others and ourselves because we are estranged from the ground of our being because we are estranged from the origin and the aim of our life and our separateness consumes us. Uh, Tillich writes, and this is a direct quote, uh, the depth of our separation lies in just the fact that we are not capable of a great merciful divine love towards our self. We are separated from God we need divine love. We think that we need to provide everything, in a sense, by ourselves, and we cannot provide that divine love. It's impossible. And the Word tells us uh, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which really means that our natural orientation in this world is one that tells us to be separate from God, from each other, and from our true selves. But as we hold that, that metaphorical baby and as we look in this season towards Advent and towards the actual baby Christ, who is our exemplar, we also see this idea of acceptance. The idea that as we accept a little baby, no matter what they look like, no matter who they are, uh, for most of us, no matter who their parents are, what their parents did, and when we accept that new baby, we can understand that we are fully known 
and that God sent his child so that we might be accepted and that we might receive grace. Now, we know that we can conceive of grace as unmerited favor. We can think of grace as the perfect gift we receive from God that we can't do anything about. Uh, but again, Tillich helps us here in a little bit, and he hones in on the point that grace is all about our acceptance. What grace says, Brother Joe, is that you are accepted no matter what. And Christ came into the world to tell us and show us that you are accepted. That sin, that our separateness, that the idea of our separateness no longer has to have a shackle or bound. We don't have to live in estrangement anymore because God has sent us a sign and a symbol and a reality that he is with us and that he has fully accepted us. Amen. If there is no way that you can overcome your separateness by yourself, there is a way that you can be accepted out of your separateness, and that is grace. And God sent his son to live and die to simply tell you that you are accepted. God, God sent his son to live and die to suffer to be a little child and to develop and to grow older, uh, to walk and to see uh, the hurt and pains of others and weep to perform miracles and yet be rejected time and time and time again. God sent his son to experience all that so that we could know that where sin and our separateness abounds, grace abounds or abides more. And, and so, beloved, you don't have to be estranged any longer. You can live in the fullness that God has placed inside of you today because Christ lived and died to tell you that you are accepted, that we are accepted. Can you say it with me now? We are accepted. Everybody, we are accepted. We are accepted. Even in a world where children are born into bad situations, we can do nothing other than accept the child, even if they're born in a manger. They're born just like God sent his son to be born. And even if we don't like something about the child, we can look and know that they are accepted. God's love is unconditional it is agape, and it calls and directs us from our estrangement and our separateness and calls us to him. And in God's acceptance, we are transformed. We are transformed from the power of sin, and we are transformed to live beyond the sins that are our the implementation of sin. It's interesting. I like to think about who God sends the message through. In this case, God sent 
the message and the truth of the uh, constellation of Israel, if you please, through Anna and Simeon. We'll talk about them more in the coming weeks, I am sure. But God decided to take people who had been at the altar praying or who had lived lives committed to him and to show them that God had good news. That they were accepted and that God has awesome things for them. The hour is getting late and so I want to close uh, with a story that I'll read uh, verbatim from uh, the teacher, the theologian, uh, Harry Nowen. Uh, I've actually shared this with you once before, uh, but I'm going to read the, the entire quote here. Uh, Nowen uh, was working on a book um, with some German circus performers uh, when he passed away. Uh, and before that book was published, he shared this story. The flying roadlies are trapeze artists who perform in the German circus. I'm not going to try and name it. When the circus came to Freiburg two years ago, my French friends and Rennie invited me and my father to see the show. I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the roadlies move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. The next day I returned to the circus to see them again and introduced myself to them as one of their great fans. They invited me to attend their practice sessions, gave me free tickets, asked me to dinner, and suggested I travel with them for a week in the near future. I did, and we became good friends. One day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troupe, in his caravan talking about flying, and he said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work, I asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer, the one sailing through the air, does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing? I said surprised. Nothing, Rodney repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I am not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine, and that would be the end of us both. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. Sin is our desire to accentuate our separateness from the catcher and to live in the falsehood that we have full control over the catch. The law and everything in this world accentuates that we are not the catcher and that we are separate and must be separate from the catcher. But where separateness increases, grace increases more. Grace is living in the idea 
that the catcher does have open arms, that the catcher accepts us, and that it is our job to fly and to hurl ourselves to our catcher and to not be afraid of the moment when catcher and flyer connect. Because in that moment, we don't lose ourselves. In that moment, we again and again find ourselves. You know, it's funny. When I was young, and indeed to this day, I will acknowledge I am uh, relatively old. Uh, in the last 10 years, I've actually practiced this, and it has not gone well. Uh, but even when I was a kid, I had a little bit of trouble doing a somersault. Right? I'm realizing now, as I look at Nathan and the cameras, that this is going on the internet, and so I wish I wasn't ending this way. <laughs> so since I, since I was a kid, I had trouble doing a somersault. Nathan, maybe we edit this out. Uh, and the reason that I have trouble doing a somersault is simply this. There is a moment in the flipping where, in a physical sense, for me, you lose control. And I'm fine with the whole first part of the somersault where you're pushing and you're controlling, but there's an instance where you lose control and you have to, you have to understand what's going to happen on the other side. I know what you're all thinking, Troy, it's a somersault. Come on, it's not that hard. But for me, there is this moment where, where I don't have control, and I recognize the, the fullness of not being in control. And because of that, I can't bring myself to the point of doing somersaults. It's hard. And it's true for somersaults. It's true for all other physical things where I can't hold on tightly and, and trick myself into thinking that I have control. I went ziplining two years ago, and it was the same thing. I, I, I was pulling on the rope trying to hold myself up, and eventually it took three quarters of the trip. I realized that I wouldn't be scared if I just trusted the, the harness that was holding me, and then it was really easy. It took me a long time to get to that point for the same reason in a physical sense. In, in a spiritual sense, in the same way, we might have this propensity to hold on to our control to hold on to the separation between us and the zip cord, to hold on to the separation between us and that moment in the somersault. But beloved, as we celebrate Christ, Christ's message to us is that he is calling us beyond that moment, beyond the fear, beyond our human tendency to hold on to these things that we feel like we have to have control over even though we don't really have control over them. God is accepting us and calling us beyond that moment to something that is more precious and more sound and is awesome and that is complete abiding in our God. God is calling us to his grace. It is a beautiful and awesome thing that God is calling us to grace that our catcher is saying, Zandy, all you have to do is fly and trust that I am going to catch you. Yes, there is sin, but where sin increases, God's grace increases more. Where sin seems powerful, God's grace is even more powerful. All you have to do, beloved, 
is accepted. He's taken the first step and accepted us while we were yet separate, while we were yet sinners. And all we have to do is live continually into that acceptance. Uh, to respond to God's dance move of acceptance with accepting him and live in his grace. Amen. And praise God. As, as Kate says that I say, uh, the gospel has been preached in your hearing. Uh, and I would be, be remiss not to give you the opportunity uh, to publicly, and in this space, respond to the grace of God. That he accepted us, that he took the first step so that we could take a step towards him and live in the fullness of complete relationship and reconciliation to him. And so now with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you haven't accepted Christ, and if you hear Christ calling you now, not my voice, my voice might get in the way, but I want you to think beyond my voice, if you hear Christ calling you now, first recognize that he is calling you, that he's saying, I loved you enough to die for you. And now take that leap and jump into the arms of our God. If you right now would like to say, God, I repent of the ways that I'm separate from you and I jump towards you, go ahead and slip your hand into the air. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. God's calling. Are you accepting? Amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise for the one who accepted. Indeed, to the one who uh, accepted, please see me after the service so we can be intentional about helping you uh, along your journey in this truth of accepting God. Church, I'm grateful to you. I'm so thankful for you, for your service, for your willingness to worship God. Go with God and be encouraged.